who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested, and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the IGN UK podcast. My name is Simon Cardi and I've got a very bad cold. Uh, I'm joined by Matt Perslow. Hello, also known as Dale Driver. I was really hoping Jesse would answer when I said that. And Jesse Gomez. I'm I'm just me. I like to be me, so I'm going to stick it like that. If you do hear the other two calling me Joe all the way through, that's just a fun nickname that we've got for me. Uh, (laughs) Me, Simon Cardi, the guy who likes football and... Lies. (laughs) Lies. Uh, <laughs> this week we are going to talk about a few games that we've been playing, but also at the end of the episode, so as not to spoil anyone, we're going to have a discussion about Loki with full spoilers up to the end of episode four, because we haven't touched on Loki for a little while, and y'all know that we like well, more than that. Um, but before that, Jesse, you and I have both played a bit of Sea of Thieves, A Pirate's Life. Yes. Um, which is, it sounds like it should be an oxymoron because yeah. it was already a game about a pirate's life. That basically but, just sounds like the subtitle for the actual game. Yeah, but it is the Pirates of the Caribbean crossover that was announced and released, what, like nine nine days after announcement or maybe even less? Yeah, like it came out really recently, didn't it? Like Did my, late. I don't know where I've got the nine days from. Maybe it was really quick, but it came <laughs> out on, it came out earlier or late last month. Um, yeah, yeah, it was pretty soon. How are you finding it? What have you done? So I'm like, just to preface, like I'm fairly new to Sea of Thieves. Our whole, like my partner and I have been playing it and like the core Mm. game, we found it to be really, really fun. We played um, a game kind of similar to it, a raft and we're just in the mood for another co-op kind of sea-based venture. So we jumped on Sea of Thieves and we've been enjoying it, but we joined a few of her mates from work um, to play the first tall tales of a pirate's life. Mm. And like, we were really, really excited. But what we played so far kind of left us feeling a little bit flat. And that's probably just because it's the first episode and we haven't got fully into it. And 
we expected it to be linear, which it is, but we also expected it to be fun as well, which it kind of isn't. Um, Did you, have you done any of the other Tall Tales? Like the original no, Tall like Tales? we played maybe like three hours of just normal Sea of Thieves just to get mm. to understand how the game works and stuff. And we did a few like little, just, you know, simple missions or whatever, but like no big, big campaign stuff as of yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. The trailer really sold me on this idea of a pirate's life and then just played it. And I just, it's just okay. Well, you know? I think so. So I've played a lot of Sea of Thieves, specifically the main campaign, like the main Tall Tales or the original yeah. Tall Tales, I should say. And I've done more or less as much as you have on A Pirate's Life. So the first mission, which is essentially like go and find Jack Sparrow, um, yeah. you end up in the world of the dead. But what it also is, because so this is the interesting thing. I think as a as a game bit of like something to play with, that first mission I think you're right. It, there's not much to it. Yeah. But as uh, someone who really likes the original Pirates of the Caribbean ride, it is a really weird and interesting take on that thing. Like, yeah. There are elements from it that are straight out of the Disney ride, it, including it felt, like, including the actual VO. Like, yeah, the, it, it the felt like we were on a ride because there's this kind of part where you're, you know, slowly getting towards uh, Jack Sparrow and stuff. And you're going through these like series of caves and it's like, stop here and listen to this little bit of the story and you have like maybe a little song playing in the background and it felt like you were on the ride for well you yeah. know Pirates of the Caribbean or whatever but obviously you're in a game yeah uh, that, uh, but I think yeah that's the thing is kind of I, I don't think you need to worry too much I'm fairly sure the rest of those things will be proper Sea of Thieves missions because yeah. the tall tales in that game mostly I'd say there's one or two slight duds usually mm. based around combat but like yeah. the puzzle stuff in the Tall Tales previously was amazing. And if they've got that right again, then I'm all in for yeah. a bit more of this, but with Jack Sparrow on my ship. Also, presumably about. that first mission is a bit of an onboarding exercise because there'll be like probably thousands of people that download this on Games Pass who have never touched Sea of Thieves before, but yeah, are super sure. interested in Pirates of the Caribbean. It is yeah. interesting. Like, it's not quite a tutorial because I think when you join for the first time, it will still make you do the maiden mm -hmm. voyage mission yeah. thing. Um, but I think I'm sure there is a certain amount of just like, we're going to teach you how to get from here to here. That said, Jesse, do, so to explain, this mission is essentially you go to a place, you see what amounts to a cutscene, and then you end up on an island where you do a little platforming puzzle, and then there's sort of a miniature open world where you have to do a puzzle. Yeah. Um, did you do any of the secret puzzles in there? No, so we ended up kind of flubbing it because like when it comes to, when like I when I play these kind of games, I like to kind of, you know, just, it's the same kind of Skyrim thing. You don't want to go through the door. You want to try and climb over the rock mm. to get to a place. So you start like fucking around with the boundaries of the game and messing, messing about to try and complete an objective early. So we ended up like bugging one of the missions, I guess, because one of them requires you to get a pirate skull back to his body. We ended yeah. up doing it in this like half-assed way where we kind of broke the game a little bit. So maybe that messed up our expectations a little Probably bit. Um, so the, the secret puzzle stuff is genuinely quite good in there. So I did okay. the mission a bit pissed with friends the first time. <laughs> we just went through it and did it quickly. And then yeah. I did it by myself and went back and like 100%ed it for one of right, the okay. And like some of that puzzle is, is really satisfying. Like it, it, there is like there's treasure to find and secrets to get to. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it leads to a final thing, which went around the internet yesterday by coincidence, um, which I hadn't 
spoken to anyone about and i'm not going to spoil here it's a really good little easter egg okay yeah so i've, I've seen what game. it is yeah, yeah yeah um and like when i found that i was like oh this is a really cool thing like this mm. is a really good reward for doing all this work because yeah. you can stay there for like maybe an hour extra to yeah. doing all this stuff that's um, like we're, we're all goofing yeah. about and stuff but when it came to the core game uh, my partner and i like we did this little mission where you know we we're reading off um we had to find a specific chest and we had like a bunch of riddles to find specific places and mm. that that was really really fun and i hope you know they bring that like I, the core experience of cfes from what i've played so far hasn't translated to you know the first kind of like you said onboarded mission of yeah um, a pirate's life but that again it is just the first mission but obviously you're there to get jack sparrow what do you think of jack sparrow like what are your thoughts of just having him in the game (laughs) i mean i'm not a fan of johnny depp and i wish it could be someone who wasn't jack sparrow i think i think what's super interesting is like it feels like what disney and specifically is trying to do is to distance jack sparrow from johnny depp like yeah it's a different voice actor and they're just going like he's the guy from the ride and the films he is not the actor we are trying not to associate with that man i'm not yeah. sure that's possible well because um, they but, said i remember in one of their like featurettes like we got you know one of johnny depp's like stuntmen who like perfectly yeah. encapsulated like his form in the game and stuff but even when he's in the game I remember watching those trailers and saying, oh, you know, he's going to fight alongside you and stuff. And in that first mission, he is there fighting with you, but it is like, he is very much a scripted character. He's not like an NPC who's fighting against AI with you. Later on, he definitely is a a guy on your boat who does stuff. Um, Oh, no, because like... And will like shout out like you're low on cannonballs or whatever you know yeah. like he'll he'll become a part of they they've intended him to be an AI member of the crew. Yeah. On there's just ship. one part specifically where like he's having a fight with a big crab. Yeah, and he like we, <laughs> we can shit. all just yeah we can all stop like fighting our AI and just watch him. And it is an animation that repeats. You can see that cycle yeah, until yeah. you progress enough for him to you know whatever ends up happening next for him. Like, yeah, it's watching stuff like- that bit, I was just like. <laughs> Come on, mate. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a little I've bit. I've just pants. killed three of those crabs yeah, at the same time. It's taken you, and you're meant one. to be like the greatest pirate in history. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I like. I genuinely am excited to play more. So I play Sea of Thieves very, very slowly because it always involves getting the same other three people together, and we're probably all a bit useless. Yeah. Um but <laughs> uh, but I, I kind of enjoy the fact that it's something that I dip back into over and over again. So I'm I'm looking forward to picking through it. I'm glad, like they did those tall tales a long time ago and they hadn't added to them very much and they're really yeah. my favorite part of sea of thieves like i love i love how they build in like if you go and play some of those other tall tales you'll see like the way they roll all their stuff together like use the world and hide secrets within it yeah. and like you know finding a place that you an island you've been to a dozen times and then finding out there's a secret wall on it <laughs> that leads to a vault and stuff and you're like this yeah. is so fucking cool like no, it does seem a, it seems like a really really fun game what i've played so far i've really enjoyed and like i said we ha- i've only played the first you know tall tale of a pirate's life so i'm looking forward to more of it it's just that that tutorial mission was a bit too scripted for me mm. i guess but you know it's meant to introduce people to the dlc so i understand yeah matt have you played much of thieves so um i played it when it first came out and really mm. adored it 
like I think we had this mentioned before it reminded me a lot of kind of like that kid idea of like sitting in a box which is your pirate ship mm. um, I've got it installed um, I'm currently playing through uh, with someone all of the Halo games because we're trying to get all of Halo done before <laughs> um, Infinite comes out but we've both got that installed with the intention of the we'll do the Pirates of the Caribbean stuff but then actually catch up on all of these updates of Sea of Thieves that I haven't seen because I've not played it since the mm. months it launched yeah. in Oh, it's it's so much bigger, and, and like I would say this to a lot of people who tried Sea of Thieves early on, like this, it's so much bigger now. Uh, like I came to it, um, what last year is when I really got back into it, and just the amount of stuff there is to do, and the amount of stuff they've kind of finessing they've done to it is really nice. Like down to the fact that like you've got harpoons on the ships now yeah. that make it easier to get around as well as do you know do other stuff like it's yeah, it's really really cool i didn't even it's, realize just how beautiful the game is like the sea like, is like i want to drink it yeah <laughs> it looks the, sea so is, good. the sea is a joke how good it looks like, yeah. <laughs> i really like that what they the kind of style of it is like they've gone we've got like this kind of cartoon aesthetic and that like seemingly relatively lowering what you need the game to run at has allowed yeah. them to make like the best se- best looking sea in games of all time like it's yeah. such a cool thing it's also that's like crazy. that style is a massive nostalgia thing for me because it's got a bit of monkey island to it that mm, sort yeah. of like the stylized clouds and the really chunky kind of bits that remind me a lot of kind of when you know when they did the special edition versions of monkey island which had that weirdly mm. chunky cartoon art style it's got a lot of that to it and obviously its sense of humor is very much in that lineage yeah, and like run-down Spanish colonial architecture and mm-hmm. stuff. Like, it just looks really, yeah, it's very good. Oh, just, just a good game. Um, Matt, mm-hmm. you haven't been playing Sea of Thieves. You've got something called Wildermyth? Wildermyth? Wildermyth, yeah. What mm-hmm. the hell is Wildermyth? This is, so it's only recently come out in full. I think it was an early access game for a while, but it's now a bit like Grifflands was kind of like a few weeks back, has been in mm-hmm. early access for a while, is now a full thing. It's basically Dungeons and Dragons XCOM I think is the easiest way to explain it okay um, so it's got a series of pre-written campaigns in it a bit like what you would if you were a dungeon master running a D&D tabletop campaign and so mm. they're all kind of made up of much shorter sort of chapters that create these little almost like anthology of stories really Mm-hmm. Um, and so you start at the beginning in in the first one with just a set of pre like created characters like they're they're randomly generated like an XCOM crew would be, mm. and as you play through these stories and these campaigns, it's about building like a legend and a and like a team that ages and dies and is reborn and stuff like this over hours and hours of play. So. It's a bit difficult to, because a bit like how Grifflands is kind of like, it's an RPG, but it's also a roguelike, but it's also a deck builder. Mm. It's got a lot of that. It's many things at once. So kind of like the combat scenarios in it are very, very XCOM. It's grid-based. You're moving characters around. Um, they have individual abilities based on what kind of class they are. So it's, it's very simple in that it's got wizards, sort of warriors and hunters basically but they can sort of branch out and become lots of different things over the course of your playthrough um that is then those combat encounters come as part of like an overworld map where you're working your way 
through different regions. So right. you send characters into different regions. They search for things, and that might be you found a tower in this region, and now you're going to go into the tower in the combat scenario, work your way up to the top, and hopefully there'll be something there that you can find. Mm-hmm. As you're doing that, you'll come across these things that you find, and then you get the more story-based kind of scenarios where it's done a bit like, you know, kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure kind of almost visual novel style where you get yeah. a kind of lots of comic book panels which puts your characters that you've kind of had randomly generated that you've been building over time into those comic book panels and it kind of factors in also the personalities that you've built so you might have a couple that eventually fall in love like you might have two party members that have fallen in love and they'll have different dialogue depending Mm. on what their relationships are and all of those are kind of built through these kind of choose your own adventure things so generally you'll have three choices of what you want to do and it will give you just kind of a rough idea like this will increase romance between these characters this will increase rivalry between these two characters so as the story's building it's factoring in kind of like the personalities that you've got but mm-hmm. one of my favorite things that's happened so far in my run, which I'm not all that far into, but did a big kind of boss combat encounter area, found a like a gemstone in a rock. I was like, mm. that looks interesting. I'll try and take that. Tried to wrench it out the rock. Um, that went kind of wrong. It fired out of the rock into one of my character's eye. So he now <laughs> has a gemstone for an eye. But right. at the end of that first chapter of the campaign, based on how well you do through it, you get like so many years of peace where you then get, you know how kind of like at the end of a Mass Effect game or something like that, you'd have like, here's what's happened based on all the decisions you've just made. Mm. It yeah. kind of does that for the bits in between the campaign chapters where it's like, because you managed to save all of these places and you made these decisions, you've now got nine years of peace. And this is what happened in those nine years. Well, the guy that I had a gemstone lodged in his eye, the gems have now <laughs> taken over his body and he's now become a gemstone man. And like his arm has turned into a giant gemstone sword and he's got like an arm that's a gemstone shield. So that like, doesn't sound too bad. But so what? how much, how many people will have that? event happened to them like is that built into the story of that campaign i think the the gemstone exists in that storyline and it's what you decide to do with it like if you didn't if you decided not to risk it you Mm. might not you obviously wouldn't have any of that at all if you decided not to go to that area you wouldn't have that at all and i guess there might be a a role on how successful you are digging the gemstone out of the the rock um, having only played like that section through once, I don't know, but I know a lot of it is because it's got that XCOM lineage, is mm. about kind of like the randomization about things. So yeah, you might not have your gemstone man who now has completely different stats and abilities <laughs> from what he had before. So I've lost my archer, but I've now got a man made of gemstones that can stab people with his fingers. From from good. what you've played so far, how in depth does the character stuff go? Like, because you said you can alter their relationships or like make mm-hmm. people hate each other or something within your squad. Like, yeah, how- yeah. So I had a pair that were in love. Um, she <laughs> died, unfortunately. Um, but oh. when you have when you have deaths in combat, um, you can you get like choices on how they go out. So they can either oh. go out in like a blaze of glory where they'll deal 10 damage to kind of like the things that attack them which might kill them and then mean that you've got a chance for everybody else to stay alive you can have them go down in like a massive speech where they give everybody extra armor and buffs as they go down or you can if they're a real favorite of yours you can have them just severely maimed and they (laughs) run away 
Um, but like then if they do die you get the choice of do you bury them and you build a tomb to them and you kind of add them to your legend or do you just bury them kind of in a nameless grave and just let kind of like the past be the past I don't know what happens if they get added to your legend but I have a feeling from what I've read around it you might be able to have them like resurrected as heroes in other lives kind of further as the campaigns go oh okay so like the potential chance of these what you said heroes right like potentially coming back yeah in other mm-hmm. stories yeah if you see kind of like if you look through the the screenshots of it on steam there's lots of like you see people with like giant wings and kind of very angelic things and I, my wondering is is it a case of like when you add them to your legend where they basically get put on like the the home screen like when you're loading a game okay they're, ra- they're around a campfire so i'm wondering kind of like it says that there's a way that those legends get factored back into your game my assumption right. is is that they can come back as like deities or like legends in their own right yes please yeah. so that's very cool and then you also have like this weird kind of like spin on the nemesis system in it well in- here we go there we go um, i had already bought and started installing this as you spoke <laughs> but now i'm extra in it's got what are called calamities which are basically like your enemies learn like as battles go by and i don't think it's based on kind of what you necessarily do to them but it's like if if you complete a battle like the enemies disperse and then they get a new card added to like this deck system which is called the calamities deck and so it might be a case of if you face kind of like these demons over and over again they learn that it's kind of like okay now when you kill us we're going to just summon in another one or now when they come to the battle they're always going to have plus 25 percent health and you have these legend points which you can use to mitigate that which i've not used yet because i still haven't got a full grasp on the games and i don't want to waste a very precious resource Mm. but it's like if you see at the end of kind of like a, a, a combat encounter it's like okay these enemies that you just fought now the next time you face them we're putting this card in the deck and it's a case of they're gonna have like extra four armor that you'll have to burn through Mm -hmm. you can spend a point that you've accrued to make sure that that card doesn't go into their deck and you can sort of mitigate that but obviously over time enemies are changing and warping in the same way that having the nemesis system you'll have individual characters are warping and it's not as it's obviously not the nemesis system because it's not based on the relationship that you have with a specific enemy but it is based on the idea as as time goes enemies aren't the same they change and they reflect kind of like the state of the world okay and as you're going around to different towns and areas on the map you can kind of uh, lay down like defenses and stuff like that you can say for now i'm going to spend like 30 days in this area building up defenses but mm. Eat, there's a counter at the top that's like in 25 days we're oh, going like to a hit, big event that's going to there's going to be an event where kind yeah. of things will start pillaging the world and also new calamity guards will get played into it so there's a timing sort of system which is very XCOM in the way that you're always against a sort of clock mm. right so yeah when you sit down and say all that you realize there's a fucking shed low going on <laughs> in this video game but the way that it pulls it all together makes a lot of sense and does have this feeling where you are sort of in control of the destinies of these people that you recruit in the same way that XCOM very mm. ma- very makes you feel like you're in control. You can you do build up kind of fondness for your characters, and whilst you 
whilst they are randomly generated you have that XCOM thing like you can give them names if you want all of their equipment that you can sort of create for them you can sort of decide if, if you've kind of got a myth that you like going on and you want to name a sword after that and it's like oh it's in honour of this other character you can do that and you can kind of <laughs> build really cool. up your own universe around it did, did you say that characters age yeah as mm-hmm. well yeah they get older so throughout the campaign it might, <laughs> that, that is very cool but what like would a campaign be over the course of 50 years or something i think that's the like, idea yeah you could, so so as i say like at the end of kind of like the the first chapter depending on how well you do it's like you know i got nine years of peace and so my characters have aged by nine years and that obviously doesn't create a lot of visual difference in them at the moment but i've seen how the characters can become old people and i guess have to retire you can also have children based on the romances system so that's a little bit did any of you play massive chalice yeah no Massive Chalice was a, a double fine game, which was basically just XCOM set in fantasy world. But that had this idea of you got a house that had a lineage and you'd be able to kind of have like the key characters in it would be able to have children, which I suppose yeah. probably that was probably nicked from um, Fire Emblem, right, Joe? Uh, I'm not sure it was nicked so much. Like Fire Emblem Awakening did that to mm-hmm. a certain extent, but that was more built... Uh, that was more like an, a story event. Sure. Like halfway through that game, play characters who had significant relationships would have offspring, but it wasn't super generative. Like yeah. Massive Chalice, I didn't like for a few reasons, but I thought the the offspring stuff was very cool, and it actually felt closer to me to something like Medieval Total War, where yeah. you were like building up, a, or Crusader Kings, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like a bit more grand strategy type type feeling of sending like, your 15 year old son to the battlefield <laughs> well like yeah like and manipulating like it, like there is something uh, i often struggle to think of a better term for it and it is a gross term but it is basically like like gaming eugenics yeah like mm-hmm. where you're kind of like <laughs> sitting there and going like how can i genetically engineer the best offspring or in the case of medieval total war one where i played an entire game where i tried to make the worst king of all time <laughs> Um, and I would like breed all my idiots together to create like this perfect cocktail of alcoholism, meanness, bad at fighting, and then see if I could run the kingdom. Um, but yeah, like, I, so I guess it has. Yeah, I guess it has some of that. Like, and I, I personally, there's something that I find very, very uh, interesting about a game that like tells a story beyond one life. I always like that thing. Um, so yeah, Wildermyth sounds right up my street it yeah it sounds cool yeah and it's like it's obviously it's only on pc and i imagine it probably won't ever make the jump it's made by a very small studio but it's also got like a paper craft kind of art style to it it's very kind of basically if you've just got the shittiest laptop i imagine it will run on that like there's not a lot going on it's a lot of static images and the battles have nice kind of effects in them but they are very much like it's designed to look like a bunch of people painted these kind of enemies cut them out of little cardboard and even the way they move around the battle it's like you know when you move your chess pieces and you lift them from one square to the next that's how they move across the battlefield it looks a little bit like um was it don't starve yeah Yeah, i know what you mean yeah it's definitely kind of like within don't yeah actually now i think about it the way that your character moves in don't starve has got that very kind of almost like he's been moved like a player piece hop around yeah 
Well, I've I'm, got it installed right now. <laughs> so do I. You've sold me on it. You know, part of the reason you've sold me on it, and this is a great segue, is because I recently finally finished uh, Inkle's Sorcery series. Oh, okay. Um, I talk, every time Inkle releases something, I talk about it on this podcast because I am in love with Inkle <laughs> games. They are the best. Um, but for some reason, and I, re- I looked back... Sorcery 4 came out in 2016, which is ridiculous. But um, So if you don't know Sorcery, the series is a four-part series based on a four-part series of choose-your-own-adventure books from the 80s. Um, or f- I, think they were, I think they're technically fighting fantasy and aren't allowed to be called choose-your-own-adventure because <laughs> that is a trademarked thing. But um, they, are Ink- they were Inkle's first big project, uh, to my knowledge, and... They got progressively more and more brilliant as they went through. So, like, the first one is a pretty, like, a pretty faithful adaptation of the first sorcery book, which is you're an adventurer, you're trying to go and kill the evil archmage, and you walk through a bit of countryside and you make a bunch of decisions and you have a few fights. They invented a fighting game system, which was, like, it's kind of odd. It's almost like betting how much Mm -hmm. energy you're going to spend on attack versus the AI, which is kind of fun. Um, and it has this spell casting system where if you bring, you can choose not to bring a spell book, which would be completely insane. Um, but you <laughs> cast spells by typing in three letter words. And whenever there's a chance to cast a spell, you like look up into the stars and it gives you all the possible spells you could cast, but you have to work out what those spells are. So it's like, I'm in a situation where there's like an evil rat that's going to come and bite me. <laughs> I'm going to cast, I could cast hot, which casts a fireball. And just blow it up, or I could cast six, which creates five duplicates of me, and then the rat doesn't know how to do it. And it like it has <laughs> that's so really ma- cool. Yeah, and it has so many variations of this stuff. It's like wildly overwritten. It's amazing. Overwritten is it, in the is it best a difficult game way. to play? No, not at all. Like it's it's okay. basically just like a text adventure with a like a graphic representation of what's going on. I um, like the sound of that. But that's sorcery one. As they go through. The level of ambition that Inkle starts putting in, and you can see Inkle growing as a company over these over these four games, because the first one's like, here's a choose-your-own-adventure with some graphic stuff that we've come up with. The second one's kind of similar, but it has this time travel gimmick where you get to the end of the game, and if you haven't done enough, you can go back to the start of a certain area and do things differently to get more information to do better at the end. That's cool. And also, these are all one story, so everything mm. you do has real, actual, proper effects on everything else that comes later, including your like your inventory, your maximum health, right down to decisions you've made, like with individual characters. Um, then episode sorcery three has this fucking wild thing where there are these lighthouses across the world, and you can move the light beams. And the beacons cause swathes of the land to change what time they're in. So you're in like a post-apocalyptic version of this area. And when you cast light over these swathes of areas, it goes back to when this was like a lush, verdant place with towns and people and stuff. And so there's essentially two completely different maps that interact with each other. At the same time, you're being chased by seven evil serpents who can appear (laughs) all over the map and have their own individual puzzles with how to defeat them. You don't have to fight any of them, and you could leave, but it would fuck everything up in Sorcery 4, which is a whole other thing. Oh, my God. It's just the, it's the most, like, wild 
so, like growing series. So everything is connected from game to game. Yeah. And this is why when I went to finish Sorcery 4, I went, I'm not going to just do the end of Sorcery 4. I'm going to start at Sorcery 1 and play all the way through again so that I actually remember what the fuck has been going on. That's um, mad. And Sorcery 4 is like a really interesting way of tying all this stuff together because it, it introduces... Sorcery 3 introduces this new idea that it barely uses, which is counter spells. And you find out that every spell you've had has an opposite spell that can make it disappear. And in Sorcery 4, that becomes like a huge part of how to solve the game. And you don't know that that's going to happen. So you start learning this entire new mechanic right at the end of the game. Then it also has the choose your own adventure thing of, you know, when you're playing a choose your own adventure, you stick your finger in a page so yeah. that you can turn back to it if you don't like that's yeah. literally a mechanic in the game like you can rewind any decision <laughs> um, in Sorcery 4 once you get to a certain point it's like evil magic stops you from doing this anymore there is no more rewinding so suddenly you feel Aww. like this huge part of how you've played the game has been ripped away from you um, and it's just it's incredibly smart and I went looking and I was like I absolutely love this, and I can't believe it didn't get talked about more. And then I looked back in 2016 and noticed all these like very good games journalists being like, this might be the best RPG video game ever made. Like, <laughs> And the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I think they might be right. Like, it, the, the amount to which your choices matter, and this is why Wildermyth sounds so good, because it feels like it directly reflects tiny decisions as mm -hmm. well as big ones. Yeah. Like... The fact that in a in a text what amounts to a text adventure game, in I think Sorcery One or Two, I picked up an item that I used for the first time in Sorcery Four. Like that's bonkers. The level of thinking that involves to do that over the course of years of developing a series is like just so cool, um, and it just makes you feel like. Any RPG, any role-playing game should be communicating the idea that this is your story, not the yeah. story mm. being told to you. And Sorcery does that better than most things. And I think Inkle have gone on to do incredible stuff. I think Heaven's Vault is another one of those games, and I will never stop talking about Heaven's Vault. But something like 80 Days is actually a very different thing. It's more about yeah. like puzzling and thought and skill. Whereas this really is an RPG in the old sense of the word. Like You are part of a story, and you are getting to tell it. Um uh, and I think it's absolutely amazing. And it also taught me that Android or Google Play Store has its own subscription service like Apple Arcade that I didn't know existed. Really? Called yeah. Google Play Pass. Huh. You pay five quid a month. I just downloaded all of those. I got Choochel, which I hadn't played before. <laughs> That's really fun. Yeah. I've got like a load of games. I didn't realize it even existed. So it's fucking brilliant, man. Just looking now, the complete sorcery collection until the 8th of July is 55% off. So you can basically get these games for under £11, all of them. I, I genuinely think... Um I, I genuinely think it's best on mobile. Like, I don't okay. know what it would be like to play on PC because it, it, it feels very... There's It's got a really satisfying thing of... Um, do you remember when Disco Elysium came out and they said they created the way the text moved to reflect social media mm -hmm. like that's how yeah, people yeah. read stuff now it has that where it's like your phone is putting together the story and it, the story literally looks like it's been stitched each bit of text is stitched to the last bit like someone's creating this like scrolling tapestry of everything you've done um, and so I think it really gets across the idea of what they're going for on mobile that's, that's not to say don't play on PC I'm sure it's yeah. amazing did it come out but, on mobile first then? 
Uh, I think it was like an iOS game. Um, oh, okay. I might be wrong. Maybe maybe it came out on PC at the same time, but I've always played yeah. it as a mobile game. Um, but, I mean, it sounds uh, reassuring it, it, that like the mobile experience is, you know, is oh, good. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's it's such a good game. I can't I can't speak highly enough of it. And Inkle are just the best. Uh, right. That's it for this bit. We're going to talk about Loki at the end, but full spoilers. So before we get to that, I believe Matt has something called an endless search. Inside, it's a UK IGN crew. Yeah, 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 and ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you. Inside, I got a question for you. Hold tight, the DJ, we're coming through. Yeah, yeah, and ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you. Inside, I got a question for you. Is it in the search? Right then, boys. I uh, listened to last week's podcast, and you seem mm-hmm. to have a good time with the uh, the listener submission. Remind me. Which was... Uh, <laughs> it was the movie one, isn't it? Was, it? it was the finding the lowest uh, Rotten Tomato oh, yeah, score. yeah, that was brilliant. So I thought we'd we'd try and do a remix on that, mm-hmm. bring it into the world of games, bring it into the world of Metacritic. Um, so it's essentially the same rules. You'll have a category, but you'll be looking for a game this time. Um, and we're trying to find the lowest score on Metacritic. Uh, into it. If you, if you find it, uh, a score that's under 50, I'll give you a bonus point. Under 50? It's very difficult in in games to get under 50. Really? Yeah, it's because of all those 8 out of 10s IGN gives, guys. (laughs) Unbelievable. (laughs) So, since we know how the game works, I'm looking for games that were exclusively released on a PlayStation console. Oh, that's good. People like those games. Exactly. bad. PlayStation but exclusives. There, there is a trove of real shit PlayStation yeah, exclusives. Yeah, yeah. It has to be something like generation wide. Yeah, right? yeah. So you can go from the first PlayStation right up to the the fifth one. So I feel like I feel like the PS3 must have really shit. That's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Or like the PSP and stuff. Yeah. So hold it in until you've both got an answer, and then let me know. I've got one. Right. I'll wait till uh, Joe, you look like you've entered your mind palace. <laughs> I have, and I'm, it's completely empty in there. Um, I saw a documentary on this game and how it was super shit. So uh, that's why it's clear is, in my head. We've really hit Jesse's niche, which is bollocks. <laughs> it's true. Like, I, I, I like really these stories. Um, oh, no. <laughs> I don't know any games. You must have uh, reviewed something that is like complete I dog was, shit. B- but I've never been a PlayStation exclusive ah, reviewer, right? So I've I was much less exposed to the rubbish. Mm. Uh, I'm gonna just go. Oh no! <laughs> oh shit! Uh, am I going first? Yeah, go on then, Joe. Go first. Oh Christ! Um, I can go first if that will. No, jog. no, no. What's the okay. Killzone PSP game? I know, I'm sure it got actually uh, Killzone rated Liberation. Really well. It yeah. is, yeah. Is that one people thought was actually good? <laughs> Let's have a look. I got around to playing that. Killzone Liberation, released 2006, exclusively on the PlayStation Portable. Mm. 77 Metascore yeah. in the green. Jesse. It's time for the Halo killer, Haze. <laughs> I knew oh, you'd was... fucking choose, and I'd looked up Haze <laughs> when I was starting this game. Was that PlayStation exclusive? It was. It was on the PlayStation 3. And I think, wasn't that Ubisoft? Um, it was a Ubisoft game. It wasn't developed by them. It was published by oh, them. It's okay. a free. Is it? Isn't it Free Radical? Yeah, yeah. Isn't it the game that killed Free Radical? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's bad. Fifty-five. 
Jesse. Not even below 50. No. Jesse scores the point. Can you... I want to know what Gangs of London scored, because I remember that being very bad. Oh. And I always wanted to play it, because it I looked cool. thought Gangs cool. of London was a Sky Atlantic series. Well, isn't it based on the it game? Is, it is based <laughs> on the PSP game that was a spin-off from The Getaway. From The Getaway, yeah. Uh, no results found, weirdly. No one reviewed Gangs of London. Um... It definitely does exist. Let me just have a look. I'm, I'm now <laughs> curious. Gangs of London game. Uh, Gangs of London video game. Metacritic. It does have a Metacritic. It's just that uh, Metacritic's annoying. Uh, 52. Could have had even full, lower. Got a 4.5 from IGN. Did it? What, Gangs of London? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. What did we say? No, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Next category. I want... The lowest Metacritic for a game released by Capcom. Oh, okay. See, I feel like Resident Evil comes to mind, but then it's it's like oh, I don't know. What was your question, Joe? I, like, no, it wasn't a question. I was just going to remark that I find it. It's annoying in the context of this game, but I find it nice that I've realised about myself that I remember good things, not shit things. <laughs> I feel like I'm a more positive person than I thought I was. Uh, I have got one, but Jesse goes first. Yeah, Jesse, what are you what are you giving me? Um, you trying Lost to choose Lost Planet Three? Lost Planet Three. That's a good because that game was shit, and I enjoyed the first two games. Yeah, Lost Planet Three. Is sixty one. Okay, I'm hoping I can beat that with. Uh, oh God, is this the bad one? I think it is. Uh, Resident Evil Operation Raccoon City. Oh yeah, you've won. Fuck, I'm an idiot. Should have chosen that. <laughs> <laughs> That's such an obvious choice. Fifty two, Joe. Oh, gets the point. I was trying to think like what shit games to do. Like Dino Crisis three was one of them. Oh, but people kind of liked that one, though, right? That was the space one. Yeah, but uh, there has I mean, to be a shit Mega Man game that people absolutely that's despise. That's the thing. It's going to be one of those, like, Game Boy port Mega Man. Mega Man Triple like... X 52 HD editionals. Dino <laughs> Crisis. Triple X. <laughs> Dino Crisis 3 would have got you a 51. Oh. <sighs> right. Next Rock category. Man indeed. Sorry, Carol. Games with animal mascots. What does that so, mean? The classic kind of name platformer. a good one. <laughs> I don't know, like like the most like recent Banjo Kazooie. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So they have, it, do they have to be a main character? Yeah, yeah they are the. Yeah, I've probably phrased it wrong, but you know the animal mascot games. So you've got your yeah, Sonic, yeah. you your Crash Bandicoots, your Banjo Kazooies, yeah. that kind of game. I, I just want to confirm, but it can't be a game that. Will you play as an animal that does shit? Okay. So, like, can it be a game that just has animals in it, but is based in reality? But as in, like, you play as a man with a gun, but there just happens to be a squirrel on a fence. No, no you can't so have that, Jesse. What Are I'm saying thinking, is... You're thinking of Tokyo Jungle, aren't you? I'm thinking of, like, I don't know, Barbie Horse Adventure or something no, like that. No, no, no. No, because okay. you're playing as Barbie. An right, animal okay. platformer kind of style game. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, yeah, like yeah. the classic 90s right. platformers, stuff like that. Okay. I'm going to okay. go... I'm first, aren't I? You are, Joe. I'm just guessing this exists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Crop 2. 
It, Croc 2 does exist. I played that as a is child. That Legend of the Gobos. It is Legend of the <laughs> Gobos. Is that a PlayStation game? Uh, it was. I had it on PC, but I think it was on PlayStation One. The problem is, Joe, you're predating yeah. Metacritic at this point. Oh, uh, okay. All right, that's fine. Oh, it wasn't Legend of the Gobos. Is it not? Is is it Cro- one it, Legend? The of first the one is Legend of the oh. Gobos. Is, is Croc a platformer? Yeah, yeah, you play as a crocodile. It's shit house. <laughs> um, I mean, it's still your go, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shite. Uh... That's the problem. I bet loads of the animal mascots go... What about... um, Fuck it. Blinks the Time Sweeper. That's probably one people liked at the time because it it was a launch game or something. Uh, 71. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You've got 71 to beat, Jesse. Sonic Boom. Whatever that Sonic game was. Sonic Boom. People hated that one. Good one. Led to a TV show, didn't it, Sonic Boom? I, I actually think of Sonic as a real man, so... <laughs> I was going to say Shadow the Hedgehog, but I figured that people enjoy that game. Um, Jesse, I'm going to give you a choice now. <laughs> oh, okay. Because Sonic Boom created two games, so do you oh, want... Yeah. Shatter actually, Crystal. Actually, three. Yes. So are you going for Shatter Crystal? Okay. Shatter Crystal, 47 Metacritic. Oh, he's got the bonus. <laughs> if you'd gone for the Wii U one, you would the have Wii got... The Wii U yeah, the, No, no, no. The Wii U one was called The Rise of Lyric. That would have got oh. you a 32. Damn. But well. Jesse gets it with the bonus point. See, the problem is I can't name any good Sonic games because I don't know sure any. you can. Sonic 2. What was the I, Sonic I never played it, though. Sonic Boom? Sonic Heroes. No, that was the GameCube no. one. No. There was like one the that tried that. to be... Um, Is it the werewolf one? No, there was one that tried to be Mario Galaxy. No. It's probably just called Sonic Galaxy Zoom Zoom or some Mario shit. Galaxy. Lost World. That was oh, okay. it. Right. It's not Sonic Galaxy Zoom they had a Zoom. Good, there was one good level in that game where you uh, had to push big fruits into uh, black blenders and it would make like juice fountains that you could fly out of. That was quite cool. <laughs> but the that rest was shit. delicious. It was. Right. Penultimate round. Movie tie-ins. Mm. That's good. But again, a difficult one with regard oh. to... Wait. Can... Wait. Okay, no, I get it, I get it. Based <laughs> on a, like, and... Okay. No, the... I, I, I know the game. Okay. Jesse's got uh, a game. First. Have you got one, Joe? No, but he can go. Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory on the PS2. Ooh. I got that game as a present and it was not to knock a present because you know you get it for free it was a fucking dreadful game and it upset me greatly specifically the PS2 version Jesse yeah because that's the one I got I don't know if it got any other ports it was probably on like the GameCube okay you've uh, you've got to beat this one Joe 35 (laughs) nice I'm going to go for that lost Pirates of the Caribbean game on PS2 I can't remember the subtitle I had that I th- Wait, Pirates of the a lost Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, no, it's like a forgotten one. People were talking about it the other day and saying, "Oh, this bollocks!" It was um, based on. It was like it it used the entirety of the same mechanics of another pirate game, and I'm trying to remember mm. what it was. And it's just reskinned, literally. You know when people <laughs> complain about like reskins, it's just like yeah. you're talking bollocks. Like there's a lot of work being put into this. This was. Near enough a reskin of another game. Just that was with... Legend of Jack Sparrow. Is that what it's called? 
Yeah. Oh, oh my God, look at the state of his face. <laughs> oh, I want to see it now. Legend of the Jack Sparrow. Um, you've got a choice here, Joe. Do you want it on yeah. PC or PS2? PS2. PS2. 51. The PC oh. port would absolutely be worse, cause, right? Because it would have been a separate game. That's what I imagine. Because Spider-Man 2... Like, PlayStation 2 version was mm -hmm. completely different compared to the PC version. I feel like it's in that era. Um, Published I, by Bethesda and it Ubisoft. Was, yeah. I think the PC version of that was actually might have been very similar to the... Um, <laughs> but the PC that? version did get worse. It got... It, it was uh, 49 on Metacritic. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory <laughs> game is a big shout. I love it. That Absolute game genius. scarred me, man, and I hated that fucking film as well. Okay, right. Final round, bit of a twist. I want an EA game, but based not on the critic score, but based on the user score. Oh, that's a good one. Which game upset EA players the most? I mean, I think the user score for the one I've got in mind has probably altered significantly since... The game I'm thinking know. of... It I depends on if people care enough to go and put a change mm. score. EA games, yeah? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of the first ever pay-to-win controversy that <laughs> I heard about. This is tough. This is the thing. All the user reviews all the time are going to be stupidly positive for most of this or shit. Or stupidly negative because something yeah. happened. I'm just going to have to go for Star Wars Battlefront 2. The remake, not yeah. the original. But I, I think that one may have gotten enough support since that it's pushed it right back But enough people decided they wanted to go on Metacritic and boost yeah. it back up. Let's have a look. But um, it's, the, it's one of the biggest... Mega ones that we've seen. I don't even think this will be on there, Craig. What I'm gonna suggest, <laughs> Joe. It's it really a 1.5. Oh shit! <laughs> Battlefront Two. Yeah, yeah, because everyone hated it when it came out. But no one went back to update it. No, it's ridiculous. Um, Got to beat 1.5, Jesse. It's going to be impossible. I was, I was going to go for. Medal of Honor Rising Sun, but I remembered a video I watched. I'm going to go for Dungeon Keeper because I know people hated that. <laughs> that can't be on Metacritic user scores, can it? As in, which version of Dungeon Keeper? Because they had the mobile version. So you're was, like, talking about the mobile this... version. Oh. The mobile yeah. version of Dungeon Keeper, right? That was the one where I remember where microtransactions really fucked the game up. And that's Jesse. when. That did I win? Jesse, my boy. <laughs> 0 0.3. <laughs> nice. User score. Monster. So Jesse How gets a point How do you remember the fucking point. mobile version of Dungeon Cause, No, because when it comes to, like, controversy surrounding, like, loot boxes, Dungeon Keeper is the one where people get upset know. about. It's still a dead series. Didn't they try to bring it back and they made the same mistake or something? I'm not sure. I can't remember. I so. love Dungeon Keeper too. <laughs> right, scores are in. Joe, two points. Yeah. Fuck. Jesse, seven. Massive. I do He's consume so a lot of just shite media, <laughs> to be fair. It's quite telling, really, these games. Big Jesse 
energy in this game. He loves it. <laughs> good game, boys. Oh, very good. All right, let's do some feedback, which starts with the winner of all things. Shite. <laughs> <Just>. <laughs> this is from Elliot. He says, hey, team, hope you're all well and getting jabbed with plenty of vaccines up there in the northern hemisphere. Probably not plenty. Maximum two, I think. Um, yeah. I've written in before, often after a few drinks with weird stuff, which I can only apologize for. So this is what, so this one is a bit more on the normal end of the spectrum. So I bought a Switch recently and started mainlining Mario Odyssey, got myself to the Metro Zone in about 100 to 150 moons when suddenly my Switch broke and had to take it back for a replacement. I'm now faced with the prospect of starting again and playing the same bit of game all over again, non insurmountable challenge, but I have little patience and just can't see myself doing it. And I feel like I'm going to shut myself off for the rest of the game and we'll just start Breath of the Wild instead. Keen to know if any of you lot have um, had this kind of experience with games. Maybe you had a ton of progress, didn't save and lost it. So you never went back. Did you start a TV show? It got taken off Netflix before you finished it and just too long passed before you picked up again. Keep up the great work and don't even <laughs> and don't even think about not respecting the sea. Cheers, Elliot from Melbourne. Uh, I don't. I can't think of like a switch breakage that, or you, you know, like a pardon me, a console breakage. You that really emotional. That. Yeah, no, I was crying, not burping. <laughs> um, but I think this is quite a common complaint amongst people in our industry, which is the very long preview event mm-hmm. where you go and you play like five hours of a game, and then three months later you're like. Oh my god, I have to do that again. <laughs> like I've done that I did that for both of the last two Tomb Raider games. <laughs> like That's I did mad. huge intro preview events which are I should say amazing when yeah. you want to do the preview like that's such a privilege um yeah and like a great way to preview something because you're actually getting a look at what the thing is but when you get back to it and you're like i'm gonna play that game i liked you're like oh my god i have to see have to teach lara how to yeah. you apply mud again <laughs> yeah i think i did like, i did a lot around shadow of the tomb back at my old job i was the the mm. tomb raider guy i got all of the tomb raider stuff so i'd seen like the start of shadow of the tomb raider like four times by the time i actually got mm-hmm. around to it um on a positive side, I played the opening of Final Fantasy VII Remake a lot and still loved it and still love it to this day. On a less yeah. positive side, I played so much Immortals over preview and got very <laughs> excited for that game and loved everything that was doing. But when everything they showed me is from the start of the game, mm. and so when I when it came out and I sat down and I was like, I love everything what this game is. I've just played this opening like five times now. It's just... Mm. I haven't played it five times, it, but like it strikes me as a Christmas game. Immortals, like you yeah. sit down, you're like, one day at Christmas, you'll be yeah. like, I'm just gonna do this. The thing is, though, is like by next time, by the by the time we get to next Christmas, there's gonna be something else that is of that kind of grade, and I do worry mm. that like my time with Immortals has been lost now, and I should have grabbed it at the mm. time. Admittedly, I think Assassin's Creed Valhalla is better, and so that's mm. why it yeah. got my time that year. Um, but yeah, it's one of those I almost no lines of immortals by heart now because (laughs) and obviously that was again one of these things of it was an igm first so we got real in-depth access Mm. to that game which meant that we got to play that that intro a lot we got to see all of the cutscenes as many times as we wanted and all of that great for coverage less so for your enthusiasm yeah Yeah. i can't think of any games i played where you know my hardware is broke or the game disc is just completely clapped but this is just going to be I mean, it's my answer and it like god of war 
I played during release and I got, you know, a good amount of hours into. And mm-hmm. I just kind of stopped playing. It might have been because of uni or school or whatever. And then maybe a year ago, I tried playing it again. And I basically got halfway through and I was just like, I'm just not really fussed. And it's one of those games where it's like, this is like the best game ever mm-hmm. for that generation. And I play and I'm just like, yeah, I'm just, I'm, it's like, like, it's not doing anything for me. And then you have the people who are like, you need to play this game. I'm just like, I'm not bothered because there's so many games coming out all the time. Mm. Like, I, I don't want to just sit there and play. I don't know. It's weird. That sounds like a slightly a different game. situation though, right? That's you just not being fussed about God of War rather than not wanting yeah. to mainline through all of the stuff that you previously played of it. Yeah, but like playing through it like twice, I guess that was the similar hook, I guess. But I've never really had a game like that, I guess. I think there's I think there's something to be said for like um, DLC or like expansions mm-hmm. when you particularly for RPGs like something comes out what four months after you finish the game and then you get to it and you're like oh my god I have to remember how to play this game and then mm. the DLC is going to be really long and hard the, like really honestly the only DLC I can remember playing after having finished the game at launch and then just going straight back into it is like The Witcher and that's mm-hmm. just because the witch is amazing and i was happy to remind myself how the fuck that weird game works yeah yeah um, well i um yeah. i played the intermission which is obviously the final fantasy 7 mm. um mission and that obviously i haven't played final fantasy 7 for a year like it was last march wasn't it that that came out and it's it's not necessarily that it's super super difficult but you play as one character and for the first section of that dlc you don't have anybody with you at all and suddenly mm. it's reminding yourself how do you use this combat system with just one character it's a combat mm. system that's designed for parties to bounce off each other and you do eventually get another party member who who is all completely ai controlled but i remember the first two dogs that you fight in that dlc took me <laughs> about six attempts to do because i completely <laughs> forgotten how to play final fantasy yeah i think like yeah I, I hope it never happens to me that something breaks and i lose loads of progress because 100 moons in Mario Odyssey is mm. no joke. Saws, Elliot. Yeah. Uh, Matt, you're up next. Oh, yes, this one is from Simon, who says, Hi, gents. A few episodes ago, you spoke about coincidences where game characters named after family members resulted in a bit of a mindfuck moment. It's not quite the same, but it reminded me of a time when I was a few hours into Peter Molyneux Lionhead's God Sim Black and White. Playing it around 2am, I was half asleep when suddenly through the headphones I heard a soft, cold, beckoning whisper of... Simon (laughs) I was delighted with your delivery (laughs) now wide awake I sat bolt upright in my chair looked around the room quickly before staring at the screen for a few moments after being freaked out for a good five minutes I dug around in the game's files and eventually found an mp3 of someone whispering hundreds of names which was quite funny to listen to but before I found that I was as you can imagine a bit on edge a good piece of immersion from Lionhead Studios what is Peter Molyneux up to these days Cheers from Simon. To your question, I don't know what the fuck Peter Molyneux is up to these days. I, I would love to know. 22 cans still still exists, right? I believe so, yeah. Is Peter Molyneux the guy who did the Connect game with the weird scary kid? Uh, yeah. And the he person is. taught, yeah. That's all Pete, I really remember of him. They are apparently working on, a, he's working on something called Legacy, apparently. Mm. But their last thing was in 2016 where they did uh, the Trail Frontier Challenge. Oh, people said that was all right. Mm-hmm. It must have been better than because obviously Goddess was the uh, the horrendous mistake. Yeah, and then they made Goddess Wars, which yeah. I've never even heard of. I have a feeling, you know, that might have just been like the combat sequences I think ripped out of Goddess. 
Like yeah. one of those like realizing that they'd reach too far, so if you curb it back, you can make a game out of what you've got. What Peter Molyneux doing that? <laughs> um, I I genuinely love Peter Molyneux for being mad. Um, I do as well. I genuinely like, have I, a soft spot for him. Yeah, I I, I know like I, so I, the the one that really re- the thing that teaches me about what it's like to be a proper Peter Molyneux fan is watching my brother when he was quite young getting following the development of Fable 2 for like three years and it being the only thing in the world he wanted to play like everything he read about it he would come and talk to me about and be like oh my god have you heard what they're going to do in Fable Mm -hmm. 2 then when it came out people who hadn't been following that game really like Fable 2 like people love it my brother thought it was the worst game ever made he was like where is this 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 this," and had this like 50 point list of stuff that he was furious wasn't in the game and that is sad, but as someone who isn't like following each of those games really closely, I think there's something really nice about someone who's just like, I just want to do loads of shit. Yeah. <laughs> like that's exciting. That so that's one of the things that I admire, and I admire about the fact that like, and I know this came. He's from an era before PR slammed mm. the locks down on everything, but I love that he was just a dude that he's got all of these ideas and he wants you to experience all of these ideas. It just turns out that like games never work that way and there's always a publisher or there's always somebody on the money strings that just like you can't do that this isn't possible or you came up with an idea and you tried to make it work and it just turns out the tech just just won't allow that through Hmm. but i do remember the big conversation of i can't remember if it was two or fable one which was if you plant an acorn over your character's Hmm. lifetime the tree will sprout you'll then be able to cut the tree down and like use that to craft an axe or whatever Hmm. Um, and it's a shame that none of that came to be i still think like the Fable games are really good RPGs, especially for yeah. their time. Is he not uh, working on Fable 4? Or is yeah. that... Oh, <laughs> oh no. Peter. That, uh, that man will it. never work on a AAA game again. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the thing. We are... I think the reason, part of the reason I have like a fondness for Peter Molyneux, particularly now, is that that era is over. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's no way that I can be... I can have the rug pulled out from me. So now I just look back with rose-tinted spectacles at like... Look how weird that was. Yeah. <laughs> that we had this guy who could just say whatever yeah. he wanted. The likes of him still exist. Like, what's the guy that runs um, Star Citizen? Chris. Oh, oh Chris um, Roberts. Yeah. yeah. He's just the current. I don't know. He's obviously from the same era as Peter Molyneux. He's just still. The difference in... is he has the money. Well, that's I mean, that's that's that exactly is. it. Is that like if if you if your money only comes from Patreons and and like Kickstarters rather than an actual publisher that has got a accountant and a project manager, <laughs> then it sort of becomes slightly different. I yeah. love that you're implying Star Citizen doesn't have an accountant <laughs> on it. It's the highest grossing crowdfunded project of all time. Um, I, and to be fair, if you want to see what it would be like if Peter Molyneux existed now, look at how angry people are at Chris Roberts all the time. I guess that's what we. Yeah. I guess that's what we're talking about. Jesse's pointing at himself. I am one of them. I have a rather different email from the returning Brock Sule, mm. who uh, came in last week to tell us about his adventures across Europe driving a manual car when he didn't know how to. Um, we asked during that. Uh, he said at the end that Japanese learning Japanese had taught him how to swear at a creepy man in an onsen, and we invited <laughs> Brock to write back in, and he did. Um, so he said, "Cheers, lads, for reading out my email last week, just in time for my birthday. Happy birthday, Brock! Happy birthday!" To Jesse and Simon's comments, the reason I travel so much is that I'm an ESL teacher. 
uh, Instagram and Facebook's al- advert algorithms are so fucked, they alternate between apply for a US green card, request to donate my sperm for the 2049 Tour de France, I don't know what that means, and post-Brexit requests from the UK government, which seem to think I'm a German exchange student. Time will tell if any are true. Now, onto the onsen story. There I was with some friends, soaking in a big bath the moment, the, the morning after an all-you-can-drink affair called a nomi hodai. I've done a nomi hodai, and what he is about to describe is correct. You basically pay 20 quid and spend the next two hours trying not to die. It had likely cut a year from our lives, and as we were struggling <laughs> to put our shattered pieces back in order, up saunters this crotchety old bastard. Imagine a walking piece of beef jerky with its balls out, and you've got him sorted. He was utterly amazed by our group. A Geordie, a weedy Irishman, an Eritrean who could have been a male model, and me, a giant American. All as naked as he, and all looking as if we had been just punched in the soul. He squats down, putting us eye level with his dusty bits, and starts rattling away in Japanese, which I could barely understand past the three teeth wandering around in his mouth. (laughs) Very beautiful, beautiful descriptions. As his, son sh- as his son shouts from the changing room to hurry up, the old geezer suddenly stands up and straddles an invisible motorbike. <laughs> Pointing at the Geordie, he hops up and down, shouting, You! You look like you know how to ride! Next, he points at the Eritrean and wonders aloud if he's really a woman who had accidentally walked into the wrong bath. Finally, he looks at the Irishman and wags a finger. Now you, you look like you know how to fuck! <laughs> this is wild. Then, with an image that will be forever scarred on the back of my retinas, he grabs two fistfuls of air and starts thrusting with more vigour and excitement than any 89-year-old should ever possess. Uh, And I cannot stress this enough, each of these proclamations, each enthusiastic accompanying gesture is being done completely starkers. His son's increasing shouts to hurry up are now met with furious argument midway through robust renditions of our friend's sexual prowess. We decide then it was time to go before one of us loses an eye. (laughs) Bold as brass... The, uh, uh, now this is just, yeah, he does something that is definitely illegal. Uh, alarmed, I took hold of the shadow puddle, of the shallow puddle that is my Japanese proficiency and shout, stop you bastard, and in a sudden flourish add, suika suika, or suika. The Japanese word for pervert, or so I thought. <laughs> the old man froze and tilted his head. Looking between his own legs, then back at me, he flashes a big grin. As we flee the scene, he resumed his hip churning behind us, even as his son starts pelting him with bath towels. His weird reaction to my words stayed with me for hours. I could not, for the life of me, understand, until I finally pulled up a dictionary. Turns out, I hadn't shouted pervert, as I previously believed. I had shouted, watermelon! Watermelon! (laughs) The cheeky fucker thought I'd been complimenting the size of his balls. In any case, I used the incident as catalyst to resume studying the language in earnest to avoid bolstering any more old creeps into thrust-groping fellow spa patrons. And that, lads, is the tamest of my many horrifying onsen stories. Just, just uh, go to a good onsen, man. And then he says some nice things. Cheers again, Brock, still in South Korea. Brock, I'm sorry you went through that. Yeah. I'm glad that you told us about the watermelon story. <laughs> that old man genuinely sounds like a character from, like, Killer 7 or something that Suda 51 would create <laughs> or something. It does sound like a Suda 51 character. You're absolutely right. Uh, right. That's that for the bit of the podcast where it won't destroy your enjoyment of an ongoing pop culture product. Because after a very short break, in which maybe we'll play some of the music from Loki, which is very good, uh, we will talk all about Loki up to the end of episode four. So if you haven't seen it, piss off. Go away. 
gents, are you both up to date on Loki? Uh-huh. I am indeed. Yeah, of course, mate. Yeah, we're all <laughs> pop cultural mavens. Uh, <laughs> how are you finding it? I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 probably not grabbed me quite as much as some of the other shows, but I think I agree. I conceptually like it more than any of them. It's mm. just there's I don't really know what it is about it. I like I love the world building, I love the visual design of it, I love like the like the artistry in it. Mm. There's something that hasn't quite like pulled me in as much, but I do think like this most recent episode is the one that has pulled my investment in substantially more. I think there's some I, real cool stuff going on now. I, I have to say I am liking it quite a lot more than the other shows. Like, mm-hmm. WandaVision, that's maybe more a retrospect thing, because I think I was really enjoying that for a long time. I just thought it didn't stick the landing. Falcon yeah. and Winter Soldier, I just didn't think was that good. Like, I didn't... It's not that I didn't enjoy it. I just didn't... It didn't... It didn't do much for me past episode one mm-hmm. uh, up yeah, until yeah. the end. Whereas this is the one where... I feel like going into every episode now, I know I'm going to see something wild. I know, like, that I'm... I, I really admire Loki's commitment to just talking. Yeah. Like, there's mm. way less fighting than most Marvel things. And I'm really... And there's obviously still fighting because they can't help themselves. But... <laughs> yeah. I I do like that there are whole scenes of just two people sitting across a table having a chat or... Yeah. discussing something that means something to them and I really and I think that that's putting Tom Hiddleston to good use Sofia DiMartino who I don't know if I've seen in anything this substantial before I think she's great Owen Wilson's playing a brilliant character for Owen Wilson like he's somehow being Owen Wilson at the same time as it just not seems indulging like the Wilson him. stuff yeah. yeah but like yeah but it fits it feels like him but actually as the middle mate middle-aged man he is not Wedding crashes, kind not, of. Well, Owen. not Owen Wilson playing Owen Wilson from twenty years ago, mm-hmm. like which often people get him to do. And yeah, I really like that. Um, he's very appealing. Um, yeah, I just I think there's a a lot about it I admire. I'm I'm enjoying it. Jesse, I think, how are you with it? Um, I think since Endgame, which I felt like you know was the perfect ending for me, I've not like been begging for more Marvel media. I'm not like as invested into Marvel as I am, you know, Star Wars for example but with loki like i agree it's probably been the most i've been interested in like one of these marvel tv shows just because of the setting it kind of reminds me of i don't know like a control scp kind of deal just with how it looks um and i quite enjoy that but with with loki it's not like i'm you know like i can't wait until next wednesday for another episode or like i'm going nuts it's not one of those shows where i'm like you know going to the subreddits and checking out other people's theories and watching explainer videos and whatnot um I'm just, I'm enjoying it, but I'm not like, you know, like, holy shit, I can't wait for another episode. But episode four did, it changed it a little bit because I want to see what's happening next just because of, well, the twist, Mm. essentially. I I think we all liked episode four a little more than our reviewer on IGN did. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, I think that review did, I, I think the point that review made, which I totally agreed with, was the best thing that episode did was leave you really excited for the next one because of the potential of what things meant like it resolved a lot of mysteries slightly earlier than you might have expected which always has that effect of like oh where the fuck is this gonna go yeah which Mm. i think is really exciting i sort of like that it kind of felt a bit like a season finale but at the middle point of it like there's obviously we are spoiler like the the safety's off on spoilers right so we can talk about so so you get kind of like you know mobius is 
pruned is the mm-hmm. word that they use which is obviously pulled out of the timeline so you instantly like halfway through this episode get a point where you think oh shit one of the lead characters in this has been killed quite yeah. unceremoniously as well yeah. which yeah just made it feel like the one thing that I like at its world building is it's incredibly bureaucratic. They mm. sort of remind me a bit of the Vogons from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of like there's so much fucking paperwork in that world. It's so just the worst of kind of just like keeping track of stuff. Mm. So you get that happen. You then get obviously the um, the whole stuff of then Loki being sort of like pruned as well but before that you get the whole timekeepers thing they yeah i mean you were talking about this joe i love that kind of they're almost like the prophets from halo just kind of mm. like in this big kind of throne room arrangement i love the smoke the red lights the again because it sort of riffs on doctor who it's got a bit of that like the legacy of gallifrey going on there but then yeah. it just turns out that they're they're sort of like things out of Five Nights at Freddy's, basically. Well, it's just Wizard of Oz, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. that's what I was going to say. Were you lot expecting this twist? Um, twist, because I remember going online and people were like, "Oh my god, I couldn't believe that happened." No, no, so me shocked. and Joe had like, spoken about this weeks yeah, ago. It was, it was yeah. so bait because previous episodes were like, "Oh, only I'm allowed to see the timekeepers, exactly, and no one yeah. else can get an appointment." I'm like, they're blatantly not real to some degree. What What I kind of liked about that is that when they did turn up, there was a bit of me that was like. Okay, so maybe they are sticking with the idea that they're real. Yeah. And, you know, they are special aliens. And then you got a close look at them, and I was like, they look really shit. <laughs> they like, they clapped. look like bad effects. And yeah. then, it's because they are bad effects. Like, that's genuinely a good little switcheroo, where I was like, they're kind of, I don't, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I'm being too kind to them, but to me, I read it as, they purposely made them look quite bad, so that you would go, when the reveal comes in, you're like, oh, yeah, it's because... Could, could you understand what they were saying? Because I was, I had, I had to, to record subtitles. the episode, obviously, without subtitles, because I was doing our review, and I was like, I can't understand shit from what they're saying. Uh, yeah, I watch it always sense. with subs. And one of these things, yeah. especially with Loki, because there's quite a lot of, um, like, in-universe jargon in this one, mm. Um, mm. compared to the other ones, I because I'll inevitably be do do work out of the other side of it. I tend to yeah, watch yeah. subtitles just to make sure. I did this, like, The Witcher was impossible to watch without subs because <laughs> there's so much mad stuff being spoken about. Yeah. But yeah, we got that. And then obviously, I sort of wish that the um, post-credits had been kept for the starting scene of next week's episode, just so you got the the mystery of what pruning actually does to people. But that whole thing of, like, it doesn't kill you. It displaces you somewhere else. Loki waking up in what looks like a New York apocalypse to be faced by more very exciting variants. Including is... Richard E. fucking Grant. What a, with nails what a there. choice. <laughs> so good. Oh, his costume is excellent. They've got him in the nappy. He's so gross looking. I love it. <laughs> They've made a really old, nice man <laughs> wear a horrible spandex costume. Is that kid with the alligator Loki? Are they together or no, no, is no. alligator Loki separate? Alligator and... Loki is a Loki. Oh, that's he's so cute. That's I bad. want a little alligator Loki. Um, oh, I was going to say something. What? Well, so to your point on the on the mid credits thing, this to me was the first time they justified really, apart from final episode Marvel type mm-hmm. stuff. To me, this was the first time that the, the mid-credits really felt justified because yeah. I saw a bunch of people who hadn't waited for the mid-credits go onto Twitter to be like, oh my God, they've d- cryptically, but kind of saying too much still, mm-hmm. chill out everyone on Twitter, um, <laughs> going like, holy shit, I can't believe they actually did that. Yeah. And then yeah. 
10 minutes later, someone's clearly gone, oh, you haven't watched the mid-credits. Uh, and I think that is actually quite a nice use of that. Like, we're not going to include one for ages and then we'll drop one without you knowing. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. when WandaVision did it, I was kind of like, why? Why are we doing this now? Yeah. Out of nowhere? Like, why didn't we just save this right for the very end? Like, the one where fucking... The WandaVision one where there's, like, the basement yeah. was just like, what's the yeah. fucking point in this? Like, this is just <laughs> for the sake of it. Um, whereas, yeah, I thought this one kind of worked for me. But I see your point about keeping it to the next week. and It's just and like, it, it, it was its moment to have a bit of a, you know, we haven't had a good Game of Thrones-style wedding uh, mm. cliffhanger in a show for a while. And, like, I think there was a part of that lack of ceremony sort of already clues you into the fact that there's probably something more to it. Yep. But um and obviously no one ever truly dies in a in a Marvel show. Um yeah. but it is now a case of seeing Loki reunited with like these four other um Loki variants is like, well does that mean we're gonna get to see Mobius's variants? Yeah, the Owen Wilson verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm into that. Because if one of them is on a jet ski, if he gets yeah. to see his other life where he finishes on a jet ski. Well it feels like I guess, you know, we we got shown quite clearly that they have these time cells and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Like, you do wonder whether this is, like, everyone who gets pruned just gets stuck in a world to, of their own yeah. together. And, like, that's quite a cool, horrible, like, dystopian thing. I think do, that's, that's a fun idea. Yeah, do that- you think we have, like, do you think three more episodes is enough to get to know who the actual villain is? Because, obviously, the timekeepers were meant to, was being set up as, you know, the main guys and now that they're just you know little timmy and a robot uh (laughs) i think you know there is because one of the things that i didn't expect from this but the more i think about it it's probably in its its benefit it's actually quite a small scale show i was expecting it to be a lot more like doctor who and star trek where it was constantly bouncing from planet to reality to different dimensions through all of these different time periods and it's just not that show at all it's actually really remarkably small scale um, so I think that because it hasn't set up anything much more really beyond that, like the main mystery of it is who are the timekeepers um, and what exactly is kind of like the the problem. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's there's much more it needs to massively solve. We need to find out kind of like, like what um, Sylvie's kind of like history is, why they do what they do and kind of exactly, I think what is the sacred timeline is kind of the big question of the series because it's clearly not like a God-given sort of deal, right? It's no. not. Yeah. There's something more sinister about it. I think like it's got two hours to do that in. That's an entire movie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. One thing, like, the one thing about the small scale thing, which I agree is nice, like, because it doesn't feel too weighty, it doesn't feel like you're having to run up against loads of stuff. They went with the him seeing the Infinity Stones meant mm-hmm. nothing here thing, and this is this the greatest power in the universe, which they keep coming back to in every previously on. So it feels like they really want to get that across. It does slightly jar that you're in this, like, this is a small-scale mystery that just happens to invalidate 23 movies. Mm. <laughs> like, I sort of like that about it, though. It's I, kind of I like... Do, it just feels like... It just feels odd. I, I wonder how they're going to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's writing yourself into a very odd corner that you have to have to deal with after that point. Like, is Loki after this fact? If indeed this Loki ever interact, this version of Loki ever interacts with anyone else in the MCU as we know it again. 
which presumably he will because people like him too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If he does, do we just end up in a point where like he just has to turn up and be like, tell everyone how useless and shit they all are, <laughs> like, and we have to. And will that mean anything on camera? But, like, but I guess not. in their specific timeline, it means everything, right? Like, that's the only tools they have in terms of the Infinity Stones actually do anything, Yeah, but I then guess. you as a viewer is still like... Yeah, wow. like, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's that's like... Odd. Yeah, I feel like it's the same feeling I have with, you know, the Black Widow film. It's like, I know she's dead. And mm-hmm. I know it's probably a fun film, but I... I just... I'm not feeling invested enough to watch it because, like, I don't... It's the same with the Han Solo story. Like, I don't need to know their backstory. I just, I like the character that they were. I don't need everything explained to me, which I feel like Black Widow might I felt, do. I, so I felt that way with the Solo film, but I really like the Solo film because in in knowing what happens to that character, it just becomes like an adventure movie. And yeah, I was okay. fine with that. I just enjoyed like the ride of that movie. And I'm kind of hoping Black Widow's the same. Like, I know a lot of people have kind of come out of it and I haven't seen it. So I, I don't know how yeah. much I agree with this, but I know lots of people have come out of it going like, oh, it really dials you into the emotion of Black Widow's death and about, you know, like it has a kind of repercussive effect, but honestly, mm. that's not what I'm in it for. I just want to see her like kicking people and doing like scissor attacks and shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I'm fine with that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested, like, but I, I do see that, like there is a certain amount of like invalidating yourself just by where you put it in the timeline. I I think that's the thing with like Marvel and Star Wars or stuff like whether it's prequel or sequel content or whatever like there's always these these films are never standalone there's always a wider discussion that happens for so damn long and it's hard to avoid that so it kind of gets stuck in your head like it'll be hard for me to watch Black Widow's just a fun action film which I'm sure it is because then you go on Twitter and you go elsewhere and it's always a discussion of like, oh, this is what this means. This is what invalidates or this is what it does validate and stuff. It's yeah. You just can't really escape it. It's always hurt Marvel to a certain, or Marvel cinematic stuff to a certain extent. Like right down to, you know, the Marvel Netflix stuff. I actually really liked the idea of those being, you know, the street level heroes and all that stuff. Yeah. But even then they couldn't help themselves than have references to the Avengers and stuff. And when you yeah. do that, you suddenly put all of this into context. You know, like... Well, if you're telling me that this is so meaningless in the grand scheme of things, like, it's hard. It's, it's like an extra lift to get you there. And I thought, like, season one of Daredevil did that quite well. But um, maybe season one of Jess- Jessica Jones, which I didn't like as much as some, but I, I can see the... I definitely see the merits there. But, like, yeah. when you're looking at, like... Iron Fist is a man with actual superpowers, and even then, I'm like, you're fucking useless, mate. Like, I should yeah. think he's amazing. P- Picture in what issues they have in the TV shows, and thinking how they would perform in Endgame. Feels like they'll get killed instantly. Yeah, isn't, you know, isn't this the point of Marvel that like there's a superhero for every like it, it, yeah. it's supposed to be yeah, reflective yeah, of like actual universe, right? But I think that's maybe the Marvel Cinematic Universe's problem is that sure. it has to be so much more focused, whereas the comics can cheaply sprawl mm-hmm. you're you're left with cinematic universe constantly being shown like here's the next big bad here's the next threat here's the thing that you need to measure up like who's the most powerful they're they're doing all those discussions all those times so it's impossible well, it's relatively impossible to like detach yourself from that mm-hmm. conversation um, but yeah. I do see your point like maybe that's a failure of imagination on my part as opposed to Marvel's I, I've always quite liked like with the because I think I am a little bit more favorable to the Netflix stuff. It, it does get real bad, but certainly its first few years, I think it was quite successful. But I quite liked that there was just this idea of kind of like the occasional reminder. It's sort of like you are at a point where 
like as you say these people are on the streets and there's only so far that they can save the people of their neighborhood which is Mm -hmm. why um, Matt Murdock is so focused on Hell's Kitchen it's like this man just isn't capable of doing the stuff that everybody else does and that's why you get a very different storyline with him Mm. Um, but going back spinning this back round to the Infinity Stones I think that there's a good chance at the end of Loki will actually introduce whatever the next big bad for the MCU is because it's a, a show that starts with pointing out that actually there's a part of this universe in which Infinity Stones are kind of pretty much useless they're paperweights so it almost sets you up as like at some point this show has to explain what is grander than that um a lot of people have spoken about Kang the Conqueror being the the potential there I think that's that's got a good chance can you explain so, Kang the Conqueror to me please I Kang, don't even know who he is he, so it's been a long time since I read a storyline with Kang the Conqueror and so I do apologize to anybody at home that starts screaming saying that I've got it wrong <laughs> but he is like um the comic that i read him in he is kind of like a time manipulator and avengers forever is the the story i've read him in where he plucks avengers from across time so that's really interesting because the avengers team that's in that um comic is like you've got captain america at the point where he's having a crisis because he's realized he's a man out of time and Mm. realized that he can't deal with the modern world you've got ant-man at the point where he's a horrendous wife beater but you've also oh, got Ant-Man. I didn't know that, the yeah. character. <laughs> you've also got Ant-Man before he knows that he's going to become a horrendous wife beater. And so oh, you've got the two of them wife. interacting from two very different parts of their life. But obviously Kang is this massive time manipulator. So yeah. I think the whole idea of like this being about the TVA, I think there's a real good chance that the person that's been manipulating all of this sacred timeline nonsense through these puppets could well be Kang the Conqueror. Mm. Right. That, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, it, it sounds like having the worst versions of the Avengers trying to do something together sounds actually kind of cool. Yeah, it's it's such a good comic. Like, it's it's a long. Is it, one it's an as old well. comic. Yeah, like well, I say, old. Like, like late nineteen eighties, maybe, maybe early nineteen nineties. Mm, it's a, it's, it's great, it a genuinely great story. If anybody wants to go and read that, oh, he looks cool as well. I like it. I mean, he's, he's uh, blue and purple, isn't he? He's yeah, kind of got a bit of Thanos to him. He looks menacing. And it, so, in the comics, is he seen as like bigger than Thanos, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? It depends on what era of comics you read. Because the yeah, moment the MCU turned up, then Thanos was just big again. Like he hadn't been around <laughs> for years, and then it was just a case of we're going to stick Thanos in everything. Our next big event yeah. is Thanos. It's mm. it's such a that that universe has been massively manipulated by what's popular in either mm. cartoons or like the Spider-Man movies of mm. the time. Um, but yeah, he's considered one of the. He's not Galactus, so yeah. and you know he's not the Celestials or anything like that. But like, he is in that pantheon of kind of pretty strong cross-universe sort of yeah. bad guys. But, mm. but the next big bad would have to be bigger than Thanos, though, wouldn't it? Because it would have to be a threat that's like comparable or stronger, I guess. In some yeah. sense. Yeah, I think there's an element of one-upping. I sort of wish they'd go smaller. I think it'd be really nice to have like a couple of phases which were like dealing with more kind of like smaller Just get, like, threats. <laughs> but I think they, Bullshit I think they will. Guy. Like mm-hmm. that's what you know. We you you look at what they did with the first few Marvel phases, and like that's what they did. Like Ultron was the big bad, and when you look at him in the context of those movies, you're like, he was shit house. Like he's just a big tin man with yeah. the voice of a horrible man. Um, like he's. Oh, no, he's not the horrible man. I'm thinking of James Woods, not James Spader. I apologise to James Spader. You're just weird. I mean, James Spader's um, the bad guy in Blacklist, isn't it? Or 
uh, yeah, but yeah. I don't think I was uh, impugning the, the <laughs> I was impugning the personality of the actor. The author, yeah, and unfortunately, uh, I meant James Woods. He is a dickhead. <laughs> um, the but yeah, I think there's like, I think you can look back, and I, I do think the next two phases probably will be, mm-hmm. for want of a better term, smaller scale villains, which I'm Iron Man two for. level villain. Because I think they will do like teen Avengers at some or young yeah. Avengers at some point and and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Like I've mm. said before, I'm just ready for them to like throw lots of new people at me. And maybe that's you know Loki is great for its own reasons, but I am waiting for like the Ms. Marvel mm-hmm. moments where you're like, this is someone I'm actually getting to know for the first time for a long time. So I'm, and I'm here I am, just like I just want Tobey Maguire back. Of course, just you in, do. Just in one fucking scene. You still might. You still might get him. I just want to see him say pizza time or something, and then, like, that's me done for a decade. (laughs) Fling him out. Um, Right. Is there any more thoughts on Loki, or should we bugger off? I think it's time to pack bags. Let's get out of here. Um, What music should we have at the end? What have we talked about? Just a bit of Loki music, or maybe a bit More Loki music, because Loki music is actually really good. It's so weird. Oh, what about that mad theremin sound that she had... Ravana? Rub- yeah, Ravana? R- Ravana, I think. Ravona. Ravana. Let's call the whole thing off. Uh, her office music, the weird theremin that she plays. I want that. Find it, Jesse. Uh, <laughs> yes. I'll have a look. Um, if it's not that, it'll just be some music from Loki. It'll be nice. That is the end of the IGN UK podcast. You can send us feedback at IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com if indeed you have got this far. Um, and, you know, don't send us too many stories about guys getting their balls out in Japan, but if you've got a really good one, you can. Um, What's your favourite Yakuza encounter? Tell us yeah, that. How many t- yeah, how many horrible <laughs> mafioso interactions have you had? <laughs> Tell us at the IGN UK podcast. And that's it for us. We're going to go. It's lunchtime. I want to eat something. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. The sun should tumble from the sky If the sea should suddenly run dry If you love me, really love me In a world saturated with glossy facades comes a podcast that's breaking barriers. This is Reppin. It's where we do a deep dive into subjects like belonging, to mental health, to courage, and more. On Reppin, you'll meet the faces you think you know and discover their untold stories. It's real, it's intimate, and it gives you insight into the real person behind the images. In a world of pretense, Reppin strips it all down. No filters, no facades. Learn and be empowered and find inspiration through thought-provoking stories that resonate with your journey. Every episode is an exploration into the truths and values that make us who we are. Representation, it's not just about race or gender. It's about you. Reppin ensures that every voice is heard, every story is valued, so be seen, be heard, and be represented. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts.